Well, as we begin the message this morning, I want to remind you that of what we looked at last week, because what we're going to look at today is really a continuation of what we were looking at last week. Because what we did last week is we looked a little bit not only at Mark's gospel, which we are, and we're going through our, our study, right, the Jesus I want you to know, so we're going through Mark's gospel. But last week we really took a kind of an interest in what Matthew had to say on the subject that we looked at last week as well. And so we were in the parallel passage of Matthew, chapter 18, and we, I, I, we found some things out from Matthew that we didn't find out from Mark. And I looked at that again this week, and I, I want to keep going in Matthew a little bit longer. We'll come back to Mark. Mark does say some of the things that we'll find in Matthew, but I'm going to really focus my, my thoughts on Matthew this morning. But um, we'll be back fully in, in Mark next week. So we're going to stay with Matthew chapter 18 just for one more week. Now remember, from our sermon from last week, where the disciples were is that they were coming down from Caesarea Philippi, and they were heading down toward Jerusalem, not Jerusalem, ex ex excuse me, Capernaum, and where Jesus had kind of had his base of operation. And as they're marching down there along the way, the disciples are talking and walking, and they get into argument. If you remember, they get into argument about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so they're trying to figure out who's the greatest, who ranks the highest, and how well they're performing. And, and Jesus overhears them arguing, and, and so when he gets to the house, he asks them, what were you guys arguing about when you were walking down the way? And at first, I mean, they're, they're embarrassed to say because they know that if they share with Jesus what they had been arguing about, that he's not going to be pleased with them. And so they really don't want to say anything about it, but I think they also realize that he probably did overhear them, and he probably did know that they were arguing about which is the greatest. And so at first they don't say anything, but finally they kind of admit to to that they had been arguing about who's the greatest, but they want Jesus to give them his opinion of who's the greatest in their group. So they actually ask him, as Matthew tells us, Jesus, then who is? Since you did know that we are asking the question of, or, or arguing about who's the greatest, you tell us, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who of us is the greatest in your kingdom? And, and that's when Jesus uh, responds to them by, he's in... in Peter's house, he finds a little child, he brings one of the children over, and he brings it and sets that child right in front of them, and then says, I tell you the truth, unless you turn and become like little children, like this little child here, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Jesus turns their question on its head because their question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus really is suggesting, guys, I'm not worried about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. For you, I'm worried about if you're even in the kingdom of heaven. If you even have the values of the kingdom of heaven. Because for you, to be arguing among yourself as who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, that has nothing to do with kingdom of heaven values. The kingdom of heaven is about humility, the kingdom of heaven is about servanthood. The kingdom of heaven is about exalting others above yourselves, looking at others as better than yourselves. That's what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's about you depending by, on God like a child for the, 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 the relationship that you have with him. And right now when I look at you, I don't see that in you at all. And so as we saw last week, Jesus confronted them because what he really saw in them 
and some of you pick it out, is that it's really a spirit of pride, isn't it? Where they're comparing themselves to one another, expecting that they are better than each other, and trying to prove the case that they are better than each other. All of that is pride. And so who's the favorite? Who's the best? Who's winning the approval of? All those questions have to do with pride. And it seemed that each one of them was trying to make the case that they were greater than the other. And when Jesus then says to them, you need to turn and become like a little child, what he was really doing was this. He was really bringing them back to what it was like when they first came to follow him. When, when they came to follow him for the very first time and heard Jesus say to them, come follow me. Jesus didn't call them because they were great. Jesus didn't call them because they, they had prominence in their community. Jesus didn't call them because they had status that other people didn't have. When Jesus called them, they, they knew that it was a call that he was going to give them more than they were going to give to him. And so they came in, in the humbleness of their heart, realizing that he sought them rather than they sought him. And what they had to offer him was simply their lives and nothing more, and that he would give them a great deal more than he would receive from them. They understood all that when they first came. And so they came in humility. Jesus, I mean, why would you choose me? It had to be on their minds. Why would you choose me? Why would you select me? Why would you appoint me to be one of your disciples? When they first came to know Jesus, that's the heart that they had. It was a humble heart. It was a, a, a low heart, lowly heart. It was a heart that understood that it was all about the grace and kindness of God to choose them when they really had nothing to offer to him. But now, I mean, two and a half years have gone, and now they're feeling again. They're feeling that they have something to offer, that they've achieved some skills and maybe abilities, that they could do things, and now it's more about how well I'm doing rather than, God, how much can you offer me? And so that was a whole different attitude on their mind, and now it had turned into this thing about performing. And when Jesus sees that, I mean, he realizes that they don't, they're not a part of the value of what the kingdom is all about, and so he confronts them, and we saw all that last week. And that was the first conf confrontation that Jesus would have with his disciples. And he'll have it with us as well, won't he? If he sees that when we, when we come to him, we have a, a spirit of trying to prove to him how good we are, or prove to others around us how good we are, he'll confront us in that as well, because that has nothing to do with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Again, it's humility that we have with one another where we see each other as better than ourselves, as exalted over us. That's what he's really looking at. And that's what he didn't see in the disciples. And that's why he, he confronted them that day. But that confrontation, what we're going to see today, so that was last week. The confrontation that we're going to see today is that that gets expanded. Because not only is his concern about the, the pride that they have, but his concern is the effect that they're wanting to be the greatness is going to have upon the people that Jesus calls the little ones who believe in me. In other words, he's really concerned about the impact that their whole striving about being the greatest is having upon those who are still humble, those who are still new to the faith, those who are still the little ones that Jesus says believe in me. In other words, it's, it's as if Jesus is saying this, I'm not only worried about you guys, but I'm worried about the ones who, have, who are just coming to faith. 
and the influence you're going to have on them. I'm worried about the impact that you're going to have on them because this obsession with you about who's the greatest, who's doing the best, I mean, is going to communicate to those little ones that that's what they need to be worried about as well. Here's the thing. The fact of the matter is that when you and I grow in our faith and mature in our faith like these disciples had, I mean, there are going to be little ones in the faith who are just coming into, the, into faith in Jesus Christ. They're going to look to us, aren't they? And they're going to look at us, and we're going to be the influences of the, on their lives. We're going to be the ones that they mimic, that when they imitate, the ones that they want to be like. And, and if they see that we're living in such a way that it doesn't communicate the humility that Jesus wants us to have, but it says communicates the fact that we want to be better, that we want to perform better, that we want to show ourselves greater than others, what it's going to do is going to give them a false impression of what the Christian life is all about. And so here they're, they're living a, a witness of, of Christ, but the witness of Christ for the people who are watching them is tainted. And you know, that happens for us as well, doesn't it? I mean, if you've been a, a, a Christian any time at all, you know that there are, are new believers who will look to you to demonstrate to them what the Christian life is all about. And if you give a false witness to what the Christian life is all about by, think, by showing them that it's all about performing well, doing things right, rather than it's a, a love relationship with Jesus Christ, I mean, you're going to give the wrong witness to those. And that's what Jesus is concerned about when it comes to his disciples there. And so he's really concerned. And here's what Jesus says about that, okay? It, rather than just having a, a relationship where we simply fall in love with Jesus, desire to become more like Jesus, wanting to know more about Jesus, instead we follow Jesus and we see it as a whole list of re regulation and rules that now we have to keep in order to prove to him that we really are his followers. We've moved away from that. And here's Jesus' response to that when that happens. He says, whoever causes even one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, okay, or to stumble, or to fall away, to miss the mark, whoever causes one, even one of these little ones, and whoever means whoever, doesn't it? It means you and me, it means the disciples. Jesus is saying, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble to, and fall away, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was drowned in the depth of the sea. Now, this is how serious that Jesus takes it when we cause one of the little ones, not just little children, but the little ones in the faith who believe in him, when we cause a little one in the faith who believe in him, or just coming into the faith who believe in him, to move into a place where they fall away and they start missing the mark about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, a child of God. Now, I hope you can understand this. In a general way, we can understand in a general way, if we cause somebody to sin, most of us understand, if I lead somebody into sin, God is going to judge that action. We understand that, right? And so in a general way, we can understand that that. that if any of us cause somebody to fall away from God, there's going to be a response, and this is why Jesus called the, the Pharisees blind guides, because he said, you guys are leading them 
into falling away from me, so they're making them twice as fit for hell as you are because of the witness that they see in your life. And you're leading them down a pathway that's away from life. And so the, the application for the disciples was simply that if whoever leads somebody into sin, they deserve this kind of judgment of God upon their lives. But here's what I want to suggest this morning. Let's take that and put it into the specific context of what Jesus is concerned about when it comes to his disciples. Let's move it into the very context of what he's talking about. So keep it in context. And what Jesus says to them, here's what I think he says. Disciples, because you're all caught up in arguing about who's the greatest, who's doing the best job, who's earning my favor, you're pulling my little ones away from resting in me to simply loving me and competing and, 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 and resting in my love, and you're moving them into the place where now they're competing against one another to earn my love, to earn my favor, to earn my respect, and it'd be better if you're doing that, it'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and taken out into the middle of the Sea of Galilee and, and dropped overboard in that water. We don't hear Jesus say those kind of words too often. But here he's communicating the seriousness of what's going on when we move our, the little ones who believe in him, move them to a place where they're arguing about who's the greatest. It's so bad, Jesus says. It's so destructive. It's so harmful to my little ones who are witnessing what you're doing that it would be better if you weren't even around them, and you're never around them, it'd be better if I would just take you out and sink you in the bottom of the ocean. Let me say it again, because this is crucial for us to understand. If you cause my little one who believe in me to move away from the intimacy that they have with me, in which they are totally trusting in me, totally dependent on me, totally relying upon me, they have a relationship with me like a, like a, a child has with a dad, a child has with a mom, where it's not about them trying to earn the value in the family, but they're already in the family, so they've won the love of the family. If you move that little child who's humbly just relying on me to give them the life that they need, and you move him now into thinking, well, I've got to do this for my dad, and heaven's not going to be pleased, and he'll not be approving, and he'll put in, and, 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 and somehow you move them to the point where it's no longer about them just knowing that you're part of my family, I love you for you, who you are. See, what I would like to do, I'd like to make you pay for doing that to my little ones. See, what we're seeing, here, here, let me say this. Here's what we're seeing. We're seeing the jealous love of Jesus for the little ones who are in the family. This is the jealous love of God that he wants to protect his children so badly that whoever causes these little ones to not believe in him, to sin by falling away from him, he wants to have them understand how dangerous that is. If you're a parent, you know what that's like. You know, my kids have been out of the house for a number of years now, but when they were young, if you would have communicated to them that I didn't love them just as they were. And if you would have communicated to them that, that uh, 
in order for them to be really pleasing to me, that they had to, you know, earn my love. So it wasn't simply about them being a part of my household, being a part of my family, but it was about being good enough to be in the family. If you would have communicated somehow that to my kids, so that now it would, they doubted my love, they maybe questioned my motives, they maybe uh, suspected my actions, so that it was no longer the joy that I had in them and the love that I had for them and the joy they had with me and the love they had for me as well, and so you jeopardize that. What do you think my response would have been? We know, right? As a parent, we know if somebody comes and does something to affect the, the love relationship that we have with our kids so they no longer uh, believe our love for them, just because they're our kids. I mean, that would cause us to want to do anything we can to distance our kids from that one who's leading our kids down the wrong path. And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. You guys right now, because you're, you've been caught up in all this trying to be greater than, better than, more pleasing than others in my kingdom that's so far away that you're having an impact on the young ones in the faith and you're, you're moving them from a relationship where they just had a joy in knowing me, a love in knowing how much I love them, resting in my love, resting in my grace, resting in my compassion, and you're moving them away from that what you need to know that it's so dangerous what you're doing that it would be better for my kids, God says, in my family, to have you who are moving them away be put in the bottom of a sea, never to have an impact on their life again. This is a powerful word to us. In fact, he goes on to say this, and woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. See, we know, we know living in this world that there are all kinds of things that tempt us to move away from our faith, right? I mean, we face every day, we face temptations to cheat, to lie, to lust, to, to hoard, to covet. I mean, there's all kinds of things in our world that will move us back. And Jesus says, I mean, that's the world we live in, but woe to the one who is doing that to somebody else. Woe to the person who's moving somebody from the pathway of godliness and holiness to worldliness and greediness. And so we live in a world where there are stumbling blocks. They're all around us. And so woe to that world. But to be the person who's doing that, Jesus says, that's a double problem. And again, you go back to the Pharisees, and he says, you know, the Pharisees, you are blind guides, and you're leading these kids away, my kids, to follow you. And you're making them twice as sick for hell. 
kidding. What were these disciples doing? They were just trying to earn Jesus' favor by showing themselves as being greater than the other disciples in the group. And they had lost the humility to the desire of pride. So what were they to do about that? What do you do if you, if you, if you look at yourself right now, okay, and you look at, and I, would, I guess most of us aren't here, but if you, if you see this in yourself right now where, where your relationship with our Lord has become a relationship now where you're trying to prove, your, prove yourself before him, trying to perform well enough to please him. And you've moved away from this feeling of that, you know, I'm just going to rest in his love. I'm just going to abide in his grace. I'm just going to want to know him better, to serve him better. I mean, if, if, if you move away from that where now you're doing it because you think if I don't do it, he's not going to love me. If I don't measure up, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be loved as much. And you bring the thing that now I have to be better and greater and so, and so you're committed to greatness. And the danger is that we can become so great in what we're doing for our Lord that that becomes the most important thing in our lives. Jesus says, here's what you need to do to move away from that. And so he gives two things that he wants them to understand. First of all is this. If, and if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than having two hands and two feet to be cast into the eternal fire. And if your eyes cause you to stumble, your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than having two eyes to be cast in fiery hell. You know what that's saying? Obviously, Jesus is not saying that if you do some sin, your, and your hand did it, cut it off, or your foot did it, cut it off, or your eye did it, pluck it off. I mean, he's not, he's not calling, calling us to literally do this. We, we all understand that this is a, a hyperbole on Jesus' part. He's making something, he's taking something in the natural world and making it bigger to give us an understanding of what we have, how we have to respond in the spiritual world. And so he's really showing us how critical it is for us to see that what we're doing here is so dangerous that it means we have to eradicate that from our lives. And so he says, if you have, if you see it with, here's, let's put it in the area of greatness. If the source of your life, if the source of your well-being, if the source of your feeling okay before God is in the strength of your hand and what you can do, it's in the strength of your foot where you can go, it's in the strength of your eyes what you can see, if your okayness before God that convinces you that you're okay in God's eyes is something that you can do with your hands, somewhere you can go with your feet, something that you can see with your eyes, if that's what giving you the sense that you're okay before God and that you're measuring up to God's standard, Jesus says what you need to know is be better for you to lose the strength of your hand, to lose the strength of your foot, to lose the strength of your eye, than to keep relying on your own strength and go to hell rather than to lose these things and be part of the kingdom of heaven. God is looking for humility and meekness 
and trust in his strength. And that's his point. It's not about what we bring. It's about what we receive from him. And so the first word of correction to his disciples is, is don't take pride in how well you're performing. And if you are, he's saying, take that off. Strip that away. Remove it from your life. And then he says this, his other point, his second correction. And don't look down on those who aren't performing as well as you are. See how he puts it there? Verse 10, see that you do not look down on one of the li these little ones. Don't look down on them. You're measuring your, you're measuring your greatness against them. Don't look down on them. For I tell you that their angels, okay, that their angels, and what that's saying is this, that their guardian angels, it's possessive, that their guardian angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. This is so, such an important word to them because in order for somebody to feel that they're greater than somebody else implies that they have to look down on others to make themselves feel good. This is what happens, doesn't it? We look at, we make comparisons, we look at I'm doing this, they're not doing that, I must be better. And Jesus is saying, you know what, don't even go down that pathway. And then Jesus says, don't do that, don't look down on them because what's happening is that God the Father has assigned an angel over their lives and they're always watching God the Father. And what are they watching God the Father for? I mean, the angel's not watching the person. The angel's watching the father, the face of the father. And what's the God doing? God's watching his children. He's looking at you and he's looking at me, and every so often he'll say to that angel, go take care of my kid. Go minister to my kid. Go, go help my kid. Go save my kid. See, they're, they're, they're watching the father, getting instructions from the father, because the father loves his kids, that he'll say to an angel every so often, I want you to intervene in the life of this child here of mine because something's coming into his life that I don't want a part of his life. And so could you go and do what I want to have done in his life? You be the ministering angel to his life. That's what Jesus is saying. That there are angels in heaven who are always seeing the face of the Father who is in heaven because they're watching him, waiting for him to tell them what to do to help us know how much our Father in Heaven loves us. God loves each of us so much that he has an angel waiting to help us in our times of need. And when he sees us in those times, he'll send that angel to us. Not because we're great in his eyes, but because we are children in his family. So let me just wrap this up. Our time is gone. Let me wrap this up. If you're here today and you've gotten the impression, okay, somehow you've gotten the impression that the life of a Christian is all about how well we do, the performance we have, about winning the, the approval of God and earning the love of God, this is not what the Christian life is about, is it? It's simply about being in relationship with a God who loves us so much that he says, I'm going to call you to become part of my family. I'm going to welcome you into my kingdom. 
And it's not that we seek God, it's that he seeks us and makes us part of his kingdom family. And he wants us to be in a relationship with him where we always saying, Father, you are the strength of my life. You are the hope of my future. You are the joy of my heart. And I'm so thankful, thankful that you have made me part of your family. Jesus said, little ones who believe in me. That's who I'm concerned about. That nothing moves them away from understanding how much I love them and want to give them everything they need in this world and in eternal life besides. That's the message for us today. Let's be people who don't ever move into this, pro this place of, of being concerned about how well we perform, but just stay in the place where we understand that we're simply a part of a Father who has all value, giving us value because we're his children. That's all it takes to be one of his kids. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you again that you, the radicalness of a relationship with you we live in a world where people oftentimes have to prove their value, earn their respect. I mean, we live in a world where it's all about competing against one another, and then we can look at your kingdom as so much different. That you made us your children so that we can be loved by you, receive everything we need from your hand. And so help us just, just be, live in that joy, live in that love, receive that grace day by day as we walk with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And then let's close it with a kind of a good hymn for the morning. Children of the Heavenly Father just reminds us that we do have a Heavenly Father and we are His children. So let's stand together, five verses that we'll sing together, all of them, children of the Heavenly Father, safely in His bosom gathered. Let's sing it. Children.